right, Justin. Sing me your favorite song that has no music or words, but is actually a song. And I warn you, Justin, <laughs> this is for, like, a lot of points are on the line right now. Win and lose. So if you get this, you get a lot of points. Let's just say 27 points. But if you lose this, no, <laughs> you lose 27 points. Okay, you said a song with no music or words, but it's considered a song. Yes. (laughs) Oh, God. You are ridiculous. What would that even be? Like, I'm trying to think of something. I can't give you the the answer. And yes, this is also punishment for you guys mocking my points. (laughs) When we did the... uh... Yeah, the Minari the, the Father episode. Yeah. This I is knew your that punishment. was going to come back and, and get us. Oh, my God. Uh, I I can't answer this question. This is impossible. I don't, I don't, I got nothing, man. This is, this was, this was an impossible feat. Okay. That's minus 27 points to Justin. What? All right, Heather. Same to you. Same conditions, everything. 27 points on the line. All right, here we go. And that's it. All right, who, uh, what's the name of that song? There isn't a name. And who's the artist of that song? Doesn't matter. (laughs) No, I said it has to be a real song. It's actually the silent version of This is the Song That Never Ends. Nope, that's not a real thing. It is a real thing. What album is that on then? It's not an album. It's just it's a song that I'm singing. Oh, so you made it up, which means it's not a real song. No, it's a song that's real. It's just my version of it is silent. Yeah, your version of silent is silent, which you're not a professional recording artist. You didn't say that. Yeah, I said it has to be a real song. Yeah, it is a real song. Nope. It's just my version of it is silent. Nope, that's not how it works. Of course it's not, because you tried to do an impossible question. It's not a real song. How's it not a real song when it is the song? It's not the song. sung silently. No, because you didn't actually sing anything. You had to sing in silence. Did you actually open your mouth and act like you were singing while you did it? No, you didn't. You don't know that. I do know that. Because it's (laughs) a ridiculous stipulation for me just to randomly throw in there. And I know you didn't do it. The whole thing is ridiculous. You just wanted to give us an impossible I'm just question. saying, if you were singing in silence, you would have actually mouthed stuff. Because that would have been technically the equivalent of singing in silence. Yeah, but also in my head is the same nope. as being silent. Nope, you're so. not singing then. <laughs> you're just playing the song in your head. You're not singing it. Well, you know, I think I get an A for effort on that one. Sure. Yours is only minus 26 points instead of minus 27. There you go. (laughs) Oh, Oh. Don't worry. You're still like a million points ahead of me, Justin. So it's fine. I don't care. Wow. You guys are getting punished for for mocking me in the the sanctity of the game. Mm Mm-hmm. I thought it was pure and untainted. And you guys mocked it. I knew that was going to come back to get us, Justin. Man. Oh. Yeah, this is My karma. Points. Had to, I had to rebalance the scales. Of course you did. Mm-hmm. Man, my winning record. 
Justin, I know you didn't have one anyway. Plus, this should make you feel more at home because this has now probably put you closer to a Dallas Cowboys record. Oh, boy. Mm-hmm. But they won five championships. Yeah, how long ago? Because that's All what, that matters is that it happened. And it does How does that matter now? Did this team now do that? No, it didn't. <laughs> so who gives a shit? You know who clings to that shit? People who know their team sucks now. Just saying. Uh, I don't like the way that came out. <laughs> I think um, you just got to celebrate when your team wins. And we've won five times, and I just don't think there's anything that anybody can take. When was the last um, time you celebrated that, Justin? Would it happen to be the early 90s? I really think that that ought to be celebrated every day by Dallas fans. <laughs> uh, I'm celebrating it now, you know, just thinking about the five championships, man. Because that's the only positive thing you have to look forward to with your team is shit they did like 30 years ago. <laughs> he is he is really laying it on this time. He was very offended by our last one. Mhm. Yeah. There I will- think living in the past gets a bad rap, you know. People always say, "Oh, you living <laughs> in the past and stuff," but I really think that it's underrated and more people should try it. <laughs> how about you ask a Confederate monument about how it feels about that, Justin? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Why'd you have to go there? Because <laughs> I'm going to make you regret saying it. That's why. Because he's going to do what it takes to win this argument. <laughs> Well, I just meant something, Starla. I meant with football. We weren't talking about the Confederacy. We were talking about football. So keep it in keep it so just keep, keep it, it in on football? subject. Yeah. Okay. So just living in the past is okay for football. Yeah, that's what I'm sure I said. Okay. Well, no, I'm just gonna <laughs> want to make sure I'm clear on this. So what what Justin, so the next time the Dallas Cowboys, let's just say in two years they win the Super Bowl. You should no longer then be allowed to celebrate that at the time because you have to live in the past. You can't live in that moment. You can only live in the past with it. I just said that living in the past is is um, underrated. I didn't say you have to stay there forever or you can't enjoy <laughs> moments of today. But I'm just saying, you know, you gotta, you gotta. But every now and then, you know, you gotta go back. You you have to you wait. Go back. You have to wait thirty years to celebrate that Super Bowl win. So that way it'll be far enough in the past for you to celebrate it. I mean, that feels like a long time, but it'll go by quick. I mean, Justin, if you had to wait 30 years after the Cowboys next Super Bowl win, you'd be 827 years old. (laughs) Wow. Well, I mean, I work out every day. I think I can make it. (laughs) (laughs) That's the motivation to, like, make it that long. (laughs) Pretty much. I'm just trying to, (laughs) I got to live to see them win another title. So you have to be, what, 797 years old? (laughs) No, they'll win it this year, this coming year, so it'll be okay. All right, Josh. I'm almost there. How about this? Let's wager 50 game points on that. So if Dallas wins the Super Bowl, you get 50 points on your game score. Fuck that. 
Let's do 250 to make it substantial. 250 wow. game points if Dallas wins the Super Bowl this year. But if they lose, Justin, we'll make it. We'll make it easy on you. You'll lose a hundred. Are you willing? Are you, are you that sure of your prediction of your soothsaying abilities? Is are you going to make a wow. raw guarantee, Justin? Oh no, we're not doing that. We're not doing the the the, the raw guarantee. Um, but if you win though, two hundred and fifty points just added, man, and you only lose a hundred. Only lose a hundred if you're wrong. I mean, I feel like if you were a real fan, you would do it. If you were that sure of your predictions, you'd do it. Man, that that sounds very tempting. But I am living in the past at this moment, um, so I don't know if past me would take this bet. But here's another one. How about this? If they if past they you just simply <laughs> if they just simply do better than the Tennessee Titans. 50 that points. means a better record. 50 points. That means a better record, and they get further in the playoffs. We'll see. Let's Can do... I at least have that 27 points back? No, let's do 50 points on it. 50 okay. points. Okay. I'll do 50 on that. Yeah. So, okay. But let's make it clear, though. So if Tennessee has a worse record at the end of the regular season, but say goes further in the playoffs, Tennessee would still win our bet, right? Just to be clear. Same with Dallas. If Dallas has a losing, like, a worse record than Tennessee at the end of the regular season, but say goes to the NFC championship and Tennessee's knocked out in the first round. Dallas would be considered the winner of that bet, even though they had a worse record. Right? Yes. Yes. We're yes. saying further. Yeah. Who goes the who goes furthest, furthest to the Super Bowl? Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm down. 50 points. Okay. That's a bet. That's a bet. Easiest damn 50 points I've ever made. I need this one. Heather, wish me luck. All the luck. You have all the luck. I see how it is, Heather. You want to side with him <laughs> and the Cowboys over the Tennessee Titans? Okay. Okay, you, Heather. Okay. You just made me lose okay. so many points. <laughs> yeah, because of what you did. You made yourself oh, okay. lose those points. Not me. Oh, okay. You did. Mm, right, right. This you has nothing to do actions, with your rules. <laughs> you and your actions caused this. Not me. I'm just a mere humble servant of the game. Sure. All yeah, I yeah. do is channel the game through me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, on that note, are you guys ready to do this episode? Yes. Hey, Cinefans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin. And today, we are kind of having a cathartic, full circle moment on this podcast. We are going to be talking about The Quiet Place 2. And if you don't really realize how special that is for us, what it is is this is essentially the sequel to the first movie we ever did a movie review on this podcast. I think technically it was our second episode ever because our first one was just yeah. us talking about what we, you know, 
wanted to do with the podcast. And then we did our first review on The Quiet Place. That's right. That's That's pretty awesome. Full circle. So Yeah, we're having this full circle cathartic moment here. Three years ago, right? Yeah, it'd be a little over three years ago, which also blows my mind. Wait, three years ago, what is it? I don't remember. Fuck if I know at this point. There's been so many episodes. But, yes, however long ago it was. And, so yeah. So this is kind of like a bitter, I don't know, bittersweet is the right word. But it's a it's a unique moment for us on this. I mean, I know this isn't the first sequel to a movie we've done before. You know, like, I think our third episode ever was Infinity War. And we already did Endgame and stuff like that. But, like... This one's just a little different because this is not like a a huge franchise that's just throwing out movies like Marvel is. Right. So, but it with all that, cool. uh, we will talk about what we like, didn't like, and everything in between with that uh, with A Quiet Place 2. And we will go spoiler-free recommendations and scores and then into a more spoiler-free section with time codes in the description allowing you to jump around if you so want to. And with that, uh, Heather, what are your spoiler-free thoughts about A Quiet Place 2? Yeah, so my thoughts on this are, I think it was a really solid sequel. I think it it wasn't, I don't think it was quite on the level of the first one, but I do think it was a really good follow-up. I think it, um, you know, because essentially this sort of picks up where it left off. And um, it kept the same tone and the same vibe and feel to it. Um, The acting all around is phenomenal. Um, It's, I really enjoyed it. I think it it had all the elements you were, you were looking for based off of what you get in the first one. Um, And yeah, I mean, it is, I would say it is of course still like more of the same in a way. But they they find ways to make it a little different, a little bit more creative with it. So I, um, it's just really hard to talk about this one without actually spoiling anything. <laughs> but it is very good. I I was excited for this one from you know when we knew it was happening. Like I remember it was supposed to come out last year. I think on my birthday weekend it was supposed to come out. And then it kept getting pushed and pushed. So I've been looking forward to this movie for a long time and it did not disappoint. I think it was a really solid movie. Um, yeah, that's sort of my, my original thoughts. I mean, Emily Blunt is fantastic in it. You know, you kind of see her take up this kind of like lead role sort of in a way. Um, the new characters they bring in, I think add a really good dynamic with the family and, um, you know, just this whole world that they've created of, you know, not being able to speak. It's, it's incredible, like how they really, you know, just the little, the little details that they put into what you kind of have to do to survive in this world. And, um, I think it was a little bit more detailed in the, the creative things they do with it in the first one. But again, like, this was just a really good follow-up. It's it's a continuation. It's, yeah, I mean, all around, it's solid. Like, I'm not going to say it's a great film, but it's a very good film. It's really solid. And 
yeah, I, I think it, it's there. I don't really think that they could have done a whole lot more to make it a better sequel. So I am surprised, not surprised. I am pleased with the outcome of this movie. Uh, Justin, what about you? Yeah. So, um, man, it, it is pretty neat that we're having this uh, full circle moment. And I just remember us talking about the first quiet place and how it just sort of came out of nowhere. And it was just one of the pleasant surprises of that year. And I remember that there was so much hype um, being built around hereditary. And that was kind of the horror movie at the time that was kind of getting all the hype as like, Oh, it's a game changer. It's going to be the one that everybody's going to talk about and love and this, that, and the other. And even though I liked that movie in a lot of ways, it it did do some of those things. I think a lot of people, including myself walked away from the first quiet place and we were all like wow but that was better and it just had um john krasinski and his directing style was just very good and what the the first quiet place was was it was a masterwork of just building tension and that really is what the movie is about it's about building these tense moments and and you just kind of being on the edge of your seat wondering what's going to happen to these characters and the way that it played with silence and kind of um you know and we've seen a couple of movies in that sensory horror genre and everything like that. But it, it, but the first quiet place just had a remarkable way of building tension. And that really was the crux of the film. And so in this second movie, you're like, okay, well, what are they going to do? How are they going to expand on this story? You know, what are they going to do? And you always have a fear when you see a sequel like this, especially the way the first one ended. When the first one ends, you kind of just feel like, okay, I was satisfied with it. If I never got a part two of the first movie, I thought that there was just a great ending. There were no words spoken and I got it. I understood where the characters were and I kind of understood, okay, what's going to happen from here. So when this one was coming out, I couldn't help but think, man, is this going to be a cash grab? Is this going to be kind of one of those things where, you know, the the first one was successful and, you know, people got in John Krasinski's ear and he saw the dollar signs and went, okay, well, we got to make another one now. I didn't really have a plan to, but, you know, I guess we're going to go ahead and do this thing. And so you always kind of have a fear when you go into the sequel because you're like, how are they going to how is it going to match the first one and is it going to be a good companion piece what is it going to be and how are they going to expand on this story which i thought pretty much did enough so i was like okay where are they going to go with this and i'm surprised to say that um 
it really is just a classic example of less being more. It wasn't about giving you more of these story elements or giving you so much exposition or anything like that. I think what John Krasinski did here, and it's a testament to him and his directing, is really a lot of it is more of the same in that he made it more about building the tension and building to these big moments and making it be more about the characters than it is the spectacle of these aliens or these monsters or whatever it is that is chasing us. And that's why the first movie worked. It was because of the concentration on the characters and what they were feeling and what they were going through and being in the moment with those characters instead of really worrying about what the monsters were doing or where they are or the destruction that they're causing. And he does the same thing here. Even though he expands the scale a little bit here, you get to see a little bit more of what's going on in the world, in this town, and things like that. Our characters are migrating and moving. So, yes, we do get to see more of what is happening in this town with these and this and this world with these aliens and things like that. But the central idea that John Krasinski brought in the first one, which is keep it about the characters, keep it about the tension, keep it about those moments and build to these crescendo moments where you have these kind of jump scare payoffs and different things like that. And he nails it in this movie. It's more of the same, but it's, but it's more of the same in a good way. Like a sequel should be that there should still be some focus to detail on tension and character development and things like that. And he does that. And I think that he also did a great job with the, with the new character, that he added. Uh, Cillian Murphy is great in this as Emmett. I thought that he was um, very compatible with the cast. I, I, You know, you wonder if this other male character is going to work for this and just given what happened in the first one. And he does work. Um, Krasinski hits all the right notes with him and the journey that they send that character on in relation to some of our other characters works for this movie. So I just think that he hit all the right notes with this. I do think I do overall prefer the first movie. I just prefer it because it was a little more simple. There was less kind of moving parts and it was just, and I just a fan of just that simple we focused on the family. We were in one kind of area and we were just kind of living with this family. And so that worked better for me. I thought it was a little more condensed and then it has the advantage of being the first one. So it, it caught me off guard. It caught me by surprise. I didn't know what to expect. This one, it's going to be a little bit harder because you do know what to expect. You've seen these characters before, you know, what the, what the monsters are. So because the there's familiarity there you're going to have certain expectations and things like that so it's always going to be harder i think for a sequel to deliver in those ways but like heather said this is a solid sequel it gives you all of the things that you loved about the first one and it tells a good story um though there were some problems i had but we'll of course get into specifics but overall man i think this was a great effort by john krasinski and 
I mean, and to and for me, I'm excited to see what else this guy can direct because he's got an eye for this camera, man. He he knows what he's doing when he's behind this camera, and he knows how to tell a compelling story, and he knows how to give you compelling characters. So, yeah, bravo to them for making a great follow-up to what was already a great movie. The funny thing about that, Justin, is the first movie John Krasinski directed was kind of like one of those like comedic family dramas where, you know, like something happens and the family has to get together and they haven't been around each other in a while and they're all different and crazy things happen. You know, kind of like a a family stone or something like that. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. Yeah, he directed yeah. something like that with, uh, and Anna Kendrick was in it and it got terrible reviews. Oh, I didn't even know that. But I, I thought but I Quiet don't know Place if he wrote was his it. first movie. But I don't think he wrote oh. that, though. He did oh, help okay, I see. this. So, or, you know, A Quiet Place and Quiet Place 2. So I think that that might be the difference, though, too. That maybe he can't direct somebody else's story. But whenever he helps write the story, even if he's not the sole writer, but helps write the story, you know, maybe it's just whenever he's picturing stuff in his mind while writing, he's able to portray that better. You know what I mean? I think yeah. you're right. Yeah. yeah. Cause he did not write the haulers, which is the movie you're yeah. talking about. And it could, or it could just be that it was this first time and you know, and it maybe it just wasn't a goodly, like a good written movie, you know, it could just be as simple as that yeah. too. Um, but on to a quiet place too. Uh, I really liked the first a quiet place. I thought it was very unique. I thought it had really good tension to it. I thought, it kind of brought some new elements to the table or at least or at least repackaged old elements in a fresh way. I don't know quite how I feel about this one yet. And I watched this movie so long ago, mainly because I don't think it was necessary. I really just think it should have stayed the first one and just called it a day and moved on. I I get that. Oh, I'm really trying to wonder how I'm going to say some of these things without spoiling stuff. In the vaguest possible way, I feel like elements of this were just a little too much like the first movie. And not in the way of it's just a continuation of the story, as in it was just kind of repackaging parts of the same story. And so when you get things like that, it's not always as satisfying of a watch. But at the same time, because it's repackaging parts from a very good movie, those repackaged elements are still better than a lot of shit you get in other movies. (laughs) You know, like when you take the movie Woman in a Window, which is just a complete repackaging of Rear Window and or Disturbia, but not good. You know, it took repackaged elements from great movies in a not good way. This one just kind of repackages them in the same way that the first movie kind of did. So it succeeds a lot more than it fails, I would say, I guess, in that way. Oh, God, I just don't know how to say some of these things without saying spoilers. I mean, the acting's good. Uh, I liked Emily Blunt. I liked, what's his name, Killian Murphy. Like, What's her name? Millicent? Yep. Yeah, Millicent was great. Millicent was great. Yeah. Whoever plays that little brother, though, fuck that guy. I don't know if it's like he's a good actor and that's why I hate the character because he's an annoying character. 
or if it's just all annoying. I don't fuck. I don't like any of it. Like I also <laughs> hadn't watched the first movie in so long. I I, I haven't watched the, the first movie since roughly. I mean, I've watched it once since it came out. I think, but either way, it was still years and years ago. And I don't know if I remember the brother being just a whiny little bitch. <laughs> And correct me if I was wrong. Maybe he was in the first movie. I don't know. But, God, I didn't like the vibes the kid was giving off. He did. I, I do remember him crying quite a bit in the first one as well. Because the, the girl was always the, like, stronger of the siblings as far as, like, handling stuff. I do remember that much. But you're right. I haven't seen it in a while. Oh, no. He just seemed like the type of kid that has zero survival instincts and shouldn't survive. Like... At all. <laughs> kind of like his little brother. Yeah, I went there. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. But, um, man, I just His name is Noah know. Jupe, by the way. I actually, yeah, I'll say more in? about it. He's, he is in Honey Boy, which is that movie that Shia LaBeouf did oh, about his right. own life. He plays right. Shia LaBeouf, Shia LaBeouf's character. Um... I actually think he's a really good actor. He is actually from London, which is kind of cool because you wouldn't be able to tell that. Um, but yeah, I, I'll have more to say about him later. But yeah, his name is Noah Jupe. All right, I'm ending my segment now because I'm I'm going to struggle. Uh, it is really hard with this one to like just not give spoilers talking about it. Yeah, because a lot of my like, so a lot of things I liked and didn't like are very scene specific. So, I don't know. I'll move on. Yeah. Uh, recommendations and scores? Yeah. Yep. Recommendations and scores. All right, Justin, go. Yeah, I recommend it. And I definitely recommend uh, seeing it in the movie theaters because, like, and I know that it's kind of some of the, it's one of those things where like people are still kind of making the transition. So, you know, theaters are not as packed as they are. And of course, you know, you, you, you are encouraged and I encourage that you practice safety first and everything like that. And of course, if that is not your prerogative, cool. I would never tell you to just, this is worth, you know, risking everything to see this. I'm not saying that, but I am happy that I saw this in the movie theater because this is the kind of movie that the theaters are made for. Like that this is one where I feel like it's exciting because of the the sound that you get. You're in a dark room and you're um and, and it really just kind of allows you to kind of just lock in and really focus on where the the on the journey that the movie is trying to have with you. So I just really recommend that you watch this like you probably watched the first one, because like, I think everybody has kind of at least said the same thing of, as far as this movie still is about tension and building to those big moments and things like that. That is the consistency from one to two that remained in part two. So I think that that's um, what I would definitely recommend. Like if you're going to watch this, I think watching it in the theater just made it that much sweeter for me. And like um, just hearing how 
everybody was reacting to different parts and things like that. I think that that really was, it, it, it was just nice to experience some of that again. So as people are sort of making their way back into movie theaters, this is definitely one that if you're thinking about going back or you're wanting to go back to the movie theater and you feel like it's about that time, you ought to start that journey with this one. Because I think that the, the, the theater experience, the, this is one of those that really just works with that experience. And then, um, I mean, if you like the first one, I just don't know how you walk away and not like this one. I mean, because in a lot of ways, it gives you the same thing. They expand a little bit more on the story. You get to see some things that will help the first movie make some more sense as far as how things started and things like that. So, you you know, you do get a little bit of added pieces, but you get to see a lot of your same characters from the first one and how they're interacting with this and, and how they do. So I really think that, and really the movie is as simple as that, you know, there's not really too much more to it besides that. It's pretty much the same characters, except we're just expanding and we're going on a different journey, but we're still fighting the same monsters. So I think if you liked the first film and you liked the style of it and you liked kind of the, the ride that it takes you on, I just don't see how you would not like this one. It, it, it's too much like it. The first one in all the right ways, in my opinion, for you to dislike it. I mean, I, I would love to hear the argument of somebody who just like loved the first one and hated this one. It would be interesting to hear that opinion, but, 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 um, and the reception for this has been good. So yeah, I think you should go see it, but see it in the movie theater. Um, as far as a score, um, I'm gonna go. We'll go eighty-five. Uh, bear traps, clapping on a little kid's ankle out of a hundred. Oh, that was How'd rough. Go? Um, I do recommend it. I uh, these types of movies I always really enjoy, where it's the suspense, but a little bit of the drama and thriller stuff. Uh, I think it's a good, like, like I said before, I think it's a good follow-up to the first one. I, I kind of get what you mean, Sterling, about like, was it necessary? Probably not. But if they were going to do it, at least they kind of did the best version of a follow-up that they could really do. But yeah, I, I recommend it. I think that the acting is solid. I think that the um, the story and kind of everything that goes on and the adventure that they're on with this is, um, it's interesting. And, um, I think they give you a little bit of everything, but yeah, I, I think obviously, you know, um, it, it, this is definitely going to be a better option. Like if you, again, like what Jason said, if, if you're finally at a place where you're comfortable going to movie theaters, this is definitely going to be, a better option of a movie to see and feel like you didn't waste your money or your time on than some of the other movies that have come out in theater since this. So yeah, I, I think it's, um, I, I think it's good. I honestly enjoyed it a lot. So yeah, I recommend it. Um, obviously, I mean, not that it won't make sense if you don't see the first one, but you're, you're probably not going to want to see this if you don't see the first one or if you haven't seen it or if you don't like it, but I, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was great. So 
Um, I'm going to give this, I'll give it an 84 um, baseball games being ruined because the monsters came and changed everything in the world out of 100. I thought it was good. Not necessarily great, but I do recommend it. I do, I do kind of side with Justin with this whole, it is kind of a movie that's designed for theaters. And that is a good and bad thing. Like, it's great when you're in the theater, but it's bad when you're not. Like, I love the sound contrast of this in the first movie. I love that there's so many quiet sections and then also loud, bombastic sections. Like, those kind of dynamics really kind of add to a movie. You know, might not be great for fucking commercials on TV, but it's great in a movie. And because it really adds tension. You're adding tension through the sound design of a movie. And with this, it works really well. And unless you've got a top-of-the-line sound system, you're not going to truly get some of that and all this other stuff. I will say this. My viewing of the movie was slightly spoiled by the fact that there were small children in the theater. And so every time there was a quiet section, there was a fucking kid talking. And it was annoying as fuck. And just made me wonder so much about the decisions that these parents were making. Because, like, I understand people need to bring their kids to theaters, whatever, but why are you taking them to a quiet place? Like, why? Right. Did they think that that would make them actually be quiet? (laughs) Yeah, like, and on top of that, it's like a monster movie with, like, scary moments and shit. Like, especially for a child. Like, not necessarily for an adult, there's tension. But, like, for a kid, like, that's a lot. Why are you fucking bringing your kids? And then these assholes, to get the kid to shut up towards the end of the movie, they gave him a fucking phone to watch YouTube videos on with no headphones. Wow. Wow, that that. sucks, man. Don't be that person. Yeah. That's, yeah. I can understand why you're not, like, super on this movie now, because your experience wasn't great. I mean, it's, but it's outside of that, it's, it was a terrible experience with a lot of that stuff. But like I said, I still think it should be seen in a theater. I think it's better in a theater. Totally. Yeah. You know, but like Justin said, if you're not comfortable seeing it in a theater, yeah, wait till it comes out on whatever and watch it there. That's fine. But like, if you are comfortable going to a theater, I think you should. And I think this is a good movie to watch it, like watching a theater. Uh, I think it's a way better reason to go to a movie theater than uh, Tanette was. Yeah. But I just, I don't, I have a hard time justifying too much in this movie. And I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a 73. Uh, A 73, there's apparently cannibal groups running around this fucking like world now out of a hundred uh spoilers yep yep spoilers. it's funny heather that you brought up the baseball game getting ruined by the alien invasion mm-hmm. because that's actually one of my problems with this movie <laughs> is this that of course the alien invasion starts when their whiny little son is at bat <laughs> and also 
why does this kid even want to play baseball? Like, he's scared of a ball being thrown not at him. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, it was very weird, though, because I've seen a lot of articles and you've seen a lot of stuff and, and a lot of people talking about it. And they're like, oh, I love that they expanded on, like, and kind of showed you how it all started. But they didn't really. Like, they kind of show you how it started for that family and I guess that town. But you still don't get an explanation for the creatures. I'm assuming they're alien by origin at this point, which I think was still safe to say based on the first movie. But, like, I just thought that, that that's a very disingenuous way to word things, you know? Yeah. And I don't think it was necessary. I don't really feel like that added too much to anything because I don't really think that that was needed. Yeah, and based on the trailer, like, legit, one of my friends thought that this was a prequel. <laughs> Just because most of what they put in it is that from the beginning. Yeah. And it, it, it kind of bothered me a little bit that this movie kind of plays a lot of the same beats as the first movie. And I was like, okay, we don't need to... We need to change it up. If they're going to do a third, which all accounts kind of point towards them doing a third... They need to change it up a little bit in that third movie. And I also kind of feel like this movie felt a little bit too much like a middle movie of a trilogy. Like story-wise. Yeah. Because this movie, I don't feel like it stands on its own two feet. As a movie itself. It works as a sequel and it works as the middle of a trilogy. But I think as a standalone movie, I don't think it actually holds up all too well. And I, and that's kind of a bummer. You know, I thought I, d- I didn't really see the point in any of the prequel stuff other than you just get to see John Krasinski again. And they wanted to do that. They wanted to remind you of why, you know, you love John Krasinski in the first movie. So they brought him in again. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I felt like that was the only real reason they did that. I would have preferred it to start whenever it started, I guess, in the present time after that flashback. Because that was right after the first movie, you know? Yeah. And I, I liked that better. Um, That's true. I, yeah. I, I did kind of appreciate that you got to see the, the weaknesses, the two weaknesses, or you got to see another weakness of these creatures that of uh, the whole, they can't swim. So they just drown if they're in water type of thing. I thought that that's, that's a nice little element. Um. Showing how you could kind of return to like a semblance of a normal life at some point. And I, and I, I thought that was nice. I thought it was a little too obvious that that little island was going to get wrecked at the end. Uh, and it, it was kind of foreshadowed by a scene that was, I think was kind of unintentionally funny to me. When like they're paddling towards that island. And in the water you just see that police boat or whatever the fuck it was with the alien on it, just floating in the water also. And I just laughed a little because I was like, eh, stupid alien, it's all stuck on a boat. And then they get to that island and they're talking about it and they're like, yeah, we're just so safe here, you know? And they're like, how did yeah. you get here? And they're like, just the same way you did. And I'm like, oh, and that alien creature is going to get there the same way they did. And then it's all there. Yep. You know? And I mean... The movie also then also sacrificed a little bit right there for 
the sake of some tension or so uh, dramatic moments with it, because that guy finds the boat and the alien's gone. But that, but by the time he finds that boat, it's obvious it had been there for a little bit. That alien would have already been wrecking things if it really was keeping to the, oh, there's sound eye attack. He would have, right, that's true. He, he would have already been doing it. Like I said, I understand why they did it. It was just kind of the sake of dramatic tension because he wants you to see it. And they wanted to have the, the scene of him running and yelling for everybody to run away. And then the creature just shows up. I get it. But I think that that means you could have had it where the boat was maybe further away and not like 20 feet away from a bunch of people yelling and like talking and being loud. The boat was like right around the corner, just right there. You know, I think it'd been better if they were further away and then you could have justified that a little better. He just climbed over the hill and everybody was right there. So I thought that was a little weird. Uh, I didn't like the sun. I just don't. I, I understand they were doing that like three point of tension type of thing where, you know, there was the tension of him and the baby losing oxygen and Emily Blunt getting back to him. And then the stuff with the daughter and the creepy red eyed people. And then also the alien breaking out over there. Like they were adding those different moments of tension to everybody's going through it at the same type of situation. But like the brother's whole situation of why the creature was after him and why he was in that situation is all because he just goes, I'm going to go explore this building for no reason right in the middle of all this. <laughs> yep. With a bum leg. I've got a bum leg. I'm babysitting a baby. And there's sound creatures running around. I'm going to go explore. It made no sense. It seemed like a dumb reason to then add that tension. Whereas I think you could have just done it like he was down there and he was crying. And you know how the guy had said, the only way they're going to hear us is if they are directly above us. And the baby could be crying and he's trying to stop the baby. And then that's when the creature starts trying to get down there and all this other shit. You know, I think that would have been the way to start that instead of him running around to explore because it just seemed like a dumb artificial way to do it. It seemed like a dumb way just to show you that that guy's wife died and he had her body lying there, which also serves no purpose. Maybe it will pay off in the third movie or whatever if they do one. But like it just served, like assuming he's also still alive. But like, because he was, I'm just saying that because he was very badly bloodied at the end of the movie. Um, yeah, I just I, I didn't feel like that served any real point to the story or the narr- or or the experience or anything. Um, I thought it was funny because I completely forgot about the oxygen bottles from the first movie that they had gotten some for that little case, and I remember whenever she's putting the baby in that box, I was like, "Man, how is she going to shut that? That baby can't breathe in there." And then she's all like digging around in the water to find the oxygen bottle, and and then as soon as she pulled out of the water, I was like, "Oh yeah, they had that." My bad. They thought of that. <laughs> um, also, and I could be wrong on this, but I don't know if that whole hearing aid on the microphone being radio transmitted thing will actually work because I think the frequencies in which they would travel on, and that also looks like an AM radio station, I don't know if it'd actually be able to output the right frequencies in order to actually disorient those monsters. I'm not saying it couldn't. I just don't think it could. So that bothered me a little. I understand why it wouldn't bother anybody else. And I could, somebody could point me out that I'm wrong. And I'm like, okay, fine. 
I was wrong. And then, uh, you know, it wouldn't bother me. But it's just something I kind of thought of and it bothered me. Also, and I only just said that because somebody was also making fun of me for saying also so much in the Army of the Dead. Uh, I, I'm very kind of confused about how they create, how she created that little unit for her to carry around to sound blast the monsters because I do, I'm, I'm not sure how they're powering it. I don't know how they're powering that amp because she cut the power cord off of the amp, but I didn't see that there was anything like a battery pack or anything else retrofitted to it. I could be like, I could be wrong mm-hmm. on that. I didn't see it. So I just don't know how that amp's being powered. And like I said, that might be nitpicky, but it's a very prevalent part of the movie. And they go out of their way to show her cut off the power cord. So they obviously wanted you to see that she was like technically smart or whatever and all this other stuff. But I'm like, I just don't see how that would work. But I was kind of glad that the son got his, his leg bear trapped. That was good. That was great. I was so happy that happened. And why would you put your like message in a code? That you're on an island. Yeah, like, just be like, we're on an island. <laughs> yeah, just don't say <laughs> which no island. Point. Yeah, and I don't think the aliens will, like, they're not going to crack the code. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they can't hear shit, you know? Well, I mean, they can't hear stuff. That's the whole point. They hear stuff. But I'm just saying, they don't know English. Right. Like, but I'm like, it's just weird. And even if they did crack the code... Who cares? They can't swim. That's true. All right. That's all for me for now. Uh, Heather, go. Yeah, no, I mean, you make some good points. And I actually was thinking about this, too. And, like, the beginning part of it, when the monsters first come and they're, like, destroying the town and all of that. um, And and maybe it wasn't necessarily because they knew that these creatures, like attack off of sound, but I feel like it was so immediate that like when, you know, John Krasinski and the little girl and everybody's in that restaurant and they're hiding in there and they're not supposed to be making a sound. Like if it, it just felt like it was immediately like they knew don't make a sound or they'll attack. I don't know if that was supposed to be that, or if it was just them being like, just don't move so that they don't know we're here. You know, like, I wasn't sure what that was, but I was like, it was just so immediate that he was like, no, don't say or, or do anything. You know, I just feel like, how did they know that already? But maybe that's just me. Maybe that wasn't what they were doing. It was just kind of what it felt like. But yeah, I just felt like that was like a, how do you know to not say anything? How do you know that that's what they attack right now? Like these things just came to you. And everybody's running frantic. Like, how do you know that it's sound? So that that just kind of was a question I had. I don't know. I mean, did you guys notice that, or did you take it that way too? I, I just took it, it as way. they were hiding. Yeah. They were just hiding, and when you're hiding from something, you just you try not to make any noise because you don't want okay. it to find you. So I just kind of took it as that because they were out of sight, hiding in there. The, they turned the lights out. And everybody was just trying to be quiet, hoping that the, the the creature wouldn't see him. So I just took it as they were hiding. Okay. Maybe that's well, what it was then. Well, that, but I mean, I get, I get what you're saying, though, because because you know they're attracted to sound, their emphasis on being quiet in all those situations yeah. adds to it. You know, 
it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. You know what they're attracted to because it's like, you know, a prequel moment to something you've already seen. Yeah. And so it's very easy to superimpose those because there was a hyper, like, focus on sound in those moments. Even, like, when they're, like, running and all this other stuff, it seems like the movie was directing you towards the sounds and stuff like that with it. And at times it can make the characters look like they are acknowledging that too, even if that's unintentional from the movie itself. Yeah. And I think also to the part when like the, the older guy who ran the, the restaurant or whatever they were in, when he starts like silently praying and it was like, I mean, with all the running around outside that was going on and all the other noise happening outside of that, him doing that silent thing, like, I feel like that, you know, that's not something that he, that these creatures would hear with all the other noise going on unless they knew, you know, don't make noise at all. So I think maybe that's what threw me was that moment, you know, because he's, I mean, he's not being super loud. Of course, he's louder than everybody else in there because he's whispering kind of, but I feel like with all the other noise that was going on outside of that, like, why would they think that he would, that these creatures would hear that so easily? You know what I mean? But that's fine. I mean, that, and it, you're right. Like, I was kind of like, it could go either way. It could be either one. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that because, you know, I was going to be like, well, that's a big flaw there. Cause it's like, how did they know that so quickly? But yeah, if it was just, it felt like that because we know that that's the thing. It, it, yeah, it very easily just could have been that too. But, um, but yeah, so, um, and I do <laughs> the poor little kid, that poor boy, I, he drove me absolutely nuts because like you guys said, e- everything he was doing was ridiculous. Like, and I don't know if he was trying to go outside to like, see like, Hey, is my mom nearby? Is she coming back soon? Like, I don't know if that was why he was kind of sneaking around, but I'm just like, you're, you're joking me, right? Like you have, yeah, your leg is just shot all to hell. Like you're, you have a little baby with you that if you leave, it might cry and cause more noise, you know, or like, there's so many reasons why it was such a bad idea for him to just go sneaking around like that. Um, (laughs) but I will say as like irritating as that kid is, I honestly think that his performance as that character was so good because like he is just, he is that kid that like in this situation, you know, not every kid is going to be like the sister who's just like, all right, we just got to push through. There are going to be those, (laughs) those people and those kids that are like that. And they're just like everything they want to be, you know, like they're curious, they wander around, they're going to be, you know, like scared, they're going to be whatever. And I just really think he did a really good job being that character as much as I don't like that character. Um, I actually really felt for him when he got his, his foot caught in that bear trap. Like I physically felt that pain for him. Like that was really hard to watch. Like he screamed bloody murder and it was kind of, I think it's just cause it was so realistic. Cause it's just like, well, yeah, you know, you're not supposed to make noise, but when that happens, 
you're going to make noise. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I feel like that was a, a pretty real way that that would have gone down. And it was just kind of, it was really kind of sad to see it. Cause I'm like, he might very well get his whole family killed, but you know, I mean, but it wasn't it, that part actually, I don't feel like was necessarily his fault. He was just trying to run, you know what I mean? And the bear trap just happened to be there. Like that part wasn't necessarily his fault. Everything else he did in this movie was absolutely his fault. But I I don't know. I just, I think that as irritating as he is, I really think he did a solid performance being that character that is really, that just drives you nuts. Um, and, you know, he kind of did redeem himself there at the end a little bit. And, and I do, I do like the way that this movie sort of mirrors scenes that it does from the first one. Like the opening scene from the first one is that store that they're in and they're trying to get stuff, but they have to be super quiet. And then the opening of this one is John Krasinski at the store, normal, normal life at that same store, getting stuff like normal, you know, and I thought that was kind of cool. And then even the ending where the ending of the first one is you see these kids kind of rising to the occasion of helping figure out how to kill these monsters and then Emily Blunt's character with that gun ready to go. And then in this one, you see both of the kids kind of stepping it up and, you know, the scene ends with them with, you know, with the kid with a gun and, you know, ready to go. I think, I think it was kind of cool how they mirrored that from the first and second, like, yes, they, if they do a third switch it up, <laughs> like you said, but I think that I, I actually think that that was cool how they tried to mirror that, at least that beginning and ending scenes from the first and the second, because it's also, you see that progression too of like, so the first one is, you know, obviously John Krasinski is gone. And so Emily, Emily Blunt you know, um, what is her name and whatever her name is in the movie, she has to sort of step up and be this strong character and this strong parent for these kids and help them survive in this world when that was sort of her husband's job before. And now it's kind of like it's being passed down and these kids are able to be like that, that leader, that leader force and I mean, not necessarily the son as much because he's got a long way to go, but you just kind of see at that end scene that he was getting there, you know, he was starting to step up and be like, you know what, I got to do what I got to do. And he, you know, kills this alien monster thing, you know, and I just, I, I like the way that they did that. Cause you feel like it's showing that progression of like, okay, so now it's your time to step up and be the hero here. And I don't know. I just thought that was kind of a cool thing that they did with it. Um, and I knew pretty immediately that they were going to, when, uh, Killian Murphy is learning the sign language from the girl at the game. I knew that that was going to play something later on in the movie. I just absolutely knew that that was going to come back and be a part of the movie when he tells her to dive into the water. But, Killian Murphy was fantastic. He was so great in this. I I mean, I think he's just a really good actor anyway. He always plays a really like menacing or creepy kind of character, but he just did a really good job here. Um, 
And I just, I really liked his dynamic with the girl, with Millicent's character. I, I just think that their dynamic was really good and a, a, a really great part of this movie. And um, yeah, I thought that was really good, especially because, you know, she was so close to her dad. And I don't know, I just like, not that he is like a fatherly figure, but just sort of like, I feel like her doing that made her maybe feel like she was closer to her dad or something like that, you know, and because he also knew the dad, you know, and I just really think that their, their, their whole connection they had was really cool. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I loved Millicent. I thought she was great. Like she was great in the first one. She's great in this one. And I liked that they showed that she was just so smart and that she was able to figure these things out. And, um, even with her, not being able to hear just how much of a survivor she is and how she's like not afraid to go out and do what she's got to do. Um, I, I just really enjoyed that too. So I, I do think that, you know, it, it's, it's very borderline where it could get repetitive. Um, <laughs> like they, they switch it up enough, but you can feel how it will start to be very repetitive if they if they don't do something just slightly different if they do a third movie. But they made it different enough here. And I think, yeah, bringing in those new characters and, you know, even just, there, I mean, there's not really like a twist in this so much as just like learning that the other people that are still alive in the world are terrible. <laughs> um you know, but I think I, I I would have I would have been okay seeing a little bit more of encountering the terrible people in this. I mean, they have it in the towards the end there with um Killian and Millicent, but I feel like I could have stood to see a little bit more of how bad are the people in this world right now? Like how bad did it get? Let's see, you know what I mean? Like encountering a little bit more of that. But, um, but yeah, I just, and then, um, you know, Emily Blunt, like she is just so great in, in the first one and she's great in this one. And, um, I guess my only thing is like when she goes back to that bridge that she has where there's the cross, like, because of their other son who died and, I'm not sure why she felt the need to be like, I got to put my wedding ring out here too. Like, (laughs) I don't really feel like that was necessary. Like what exactly was that symbolizing? You know what I mean? Like, I just don't know what the point of that was unless it was supposed to be like, all right, I got to move on. I can't be held back by just missing my husband and child who I just lost my husband. So it makes sense. (laughs) But her to just be like, yeah, I'll just put my ring out here on this cross. Don't need it anymore. I don't want any reminder of my husband who died a hero. Like, (laughs) I just didn't understand why she did that. But, um, yeah. But otherwise, I really do. I I think that um, the first movie was so meticulous, meticulous in how it showed you these are the ways where we're surviving in a world where you have to be quiet. And I really, really loved the details they put like playing board games with very like the felt pieces. And when there's an emergency, you're turning on red lights so that they could see it and they know and putting sand down. Like I just, I love the very detailed things they do to show you this is how you could survive in this world. 
Um, they didn't do as much of that in this one, at least nothing new, but also, yeah, I just feel like in this one, they, they were, it, it felt like they could make a little bit more noise and the monsters wouldn't hear them as easily as they did in the first one. <laughs> like, it, you know, I just feel like the, the family was making a slight bit of noise sometimes, like when they were trying to walk through, like even the grass, and the leaves on the grass crunching even slightly. I feel like in the first movie, that would have been such a big deal. But in this one, it was kind of like, yeah, it's all right. You know, so it was, it was kind of like they, they could have tightened up a little bit more on those details that they were so good about showing you in the first one. But it was still enough to where you, it doesn't completely take you out of it. It's just kind of like if I'm being picky about it. So, yeah, but I mean, Again, I loved the performances. I think everybody really did such a great job. And um, yeah, just the, it'll be interesting too to see if they, and I love how we're talking about like if there is a third movie already, but if there is, I imagine that it'll probably be that journey back for Killian and and the girl coming back to the family or vice versa or something. But um just seeing their journeys and their adventures and just sort of the the new things they encounter while they're out in this world is it's always kind of interesting to see like what new thing are you going to learn or what new crazy thing is going to come from just your adventure trying to figure out how to survive in this world. But yeah, again, it does have a little bit of repetitiveness to it, but it's not overboard to where it takes you out of, or at least it didn't take me out of how much I liked this movie. All right, Justin, what about you? All right. So, um, I guess I'll just start with that opening scene. Like it's, it's interesting. Uh, some of the opinions you had, you guys had on that opening scene, but I guess I just saw it completely differently because I loved that opening scene. I thought that that was a look at this scenario that we didn't get in the first one. And, and, and one thing that I did do was I watched the first quiet place just before, like literally, cause you know, the movie's only an hour and a half. So watching these two movies side by side is a solid is what is just a little over three hours and it, and it just works great that way. So if you're going to do this, I'd highly recommend you do this because I was just able to make some connections. And I think I just appreciated a couple of more of the characterizations, which I'll kind of get to, but like, um, I loved that opening scene though. I thought that that was great. I liked how abrupt this invasion was i like how before they even got a chance to think or prepare or do anything these monsters were on the ground attacking people and it was just mass chaos in that little town and that was something that we really didn't get to see in the first film like you you imagined it happened like where you know in the first film it starts at day 89 so we've already had 89 days 
since this happened. So you imagine what happened. You can see kind of the 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 towns deserted and you get a feeling for what happened. But I think that that was the strength of this sequel. Well, let's show them some things that they had to imagine happening in the first movie, but we can really show them in this one. So I liked that opening scene, and I thought that that, that shot, because they show a little bit of that shot in the preview, the, the continuous shot of Emily backing up in the car and everything happening, but man, seeing that shot all together, like what they show in the preview was just an excerpt of it, but when you get to see that continuous shot all together, them run into the car things you know you're looking back and forth and people are being killed and thrown uh, every which way by these aliens and then you see them jump in the car and then she starts backing up because this um this truck is headed right for them and all of that stuff that happened i really thought that that was exciting i i i really thought that that was a cool scene and then seeing all the people hide together like all of them trying to run from these monsters hide from them and stuff like that i, I thought that it was cool and I'm not going to complain about John Krasinski being in another scene. I was glad that they found a way to have him <laughs> in another true. scene. I mean, he was good. He was good. And I'm not going to complain about more John Krasinski. So he was good in the, the first part of the movie. So, and this is day one. So, I mean, of course he's going to be there. So I, I just liked that dynamic. I thought that all of that, worked for me um as far as the children i guess to me i just i understand the characterizations like the son didn't really annoy me because the son hasn't grown up yet which was the point of this character arc you know was him kind of getting to a familiar place to where his sister was the sister grew up fast because I mean because if all you got to do is think about the first movie she grew up faster because she blamed herself for what happened to the little brother you know that 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 what happened in the first film I, I just think it's clear to me watching the movie side by side she grew up faster because of that tragedy of what happened to the little brother and, you know, um, Krasinski taking the rocket from the little brother and saying, no, you can't have that. It's going to make too much noise. And then the sister kind of giving him the rocket again. Um, and then that kind of and then all of that, just her being the good sister and you know, sure, you can have the rocket. And then all that kind of leads to the little boy's death and everything, which she blamed herself for. So a lot of that first movie was her really having to deal with that internally and having to kind of grow up faster and especially with everything happening to the dad and the little boy, he was still very much just a little boy. He was just kind of along for the ride and everything like that. But her being the older sister and everything, I feel like because of what happened to her, she grew up faster. And then in this movie, you know, what happened to the little boy with him getting that, um, having that bear trap at the beginning. So right away, he suffers this big injury. And I think, and like uh, Heather talked about, that was a great scene with them. Like his scream, his yelp, and like I said, just this was made for the theater because that audio 
of his scream and that bear trap coming in and the and the way that they that scream that they captured from him that was like excruciating like you could almost feel that bear trap yeah. and then his yelp just was perfect and i think the audio in the theater really enhanced that that's one of the scenes i'm talking about that just really enhanced this um and so and then her and then Emily was great there too with closing his mouth and telling him not to make a noise but understanding that he's in excruciating pain and so he's gonna make noise like I just liked all of that you know um so so I think that all of that just really really worked and I think that with a sequel like this, the only direction you could go was to expand this world, so to speak. And we got to meet other people. We got to find out what other members of society are doing, and we've got to venture out. We couldn't stay at the house. Then you have the exact same movie. So we had to get away. We had to venture out, and we had to do those things. So I think that by merit of this being the second movie, I don't know what other Decision they could have made. You know, you couldn't stay at the house again. So you had to venture out. You had to go out. We had to meet some new characters. We had to see what society has become given this situation. So I think that they're going the right direction. And I've heard the rumor mill about the third movie and stuff like that. And I think reportedly John Krasinski does have some ideas and has already kind of gotten some gotten an idea of what he wants to do. And I imagine just I mean, just looking at the natural progression of these movies you know in the first movie we're with this family and we found out about the weakness of the monster so we know that there's a way to kill him and we're with this family now we're with this family and and by the end of this movie we sort of have found a way to kind of further even expand on this weakness and we found a way that we can incapacitate these monsters and now we've got other people that are in on this and things like that so to me naturally the third movie is you got to defeat the aliens you know you you've got to have the humans come together and you've got to have them defeat the aliens would be my guess on what the third movie would be. And I mean, just judging by the natural progression of this, that seems to be the only other direction you could go. Now you got to get with people and you got to fight the monsters and you got to defeat them. So if that is the third movie, it will be different from these other two movies. So I I just think that that is just obviously where they're going with this. So to me, I just feel like that's the natural progression of things. So I'm almost willing to bet money on that. Uh, but, but a little, but back to the brother, I mean, he's a kid, man. So it, it wasn't bothering me too much that he was the way he was. The guy was hurt and in pain and yeah, he made some bad decisions, but I just chalked it up to he's, he's a kid, man. And and by the end, I think when he comes into his own and he gets the weapon and he kind of finally kind of mans up and everything like that, it's 
full circle back to the the first movie because when you watch that one there's a part where he's doing homework and he's doing his math and stuff and you know him and Emily Blunt are having this sign language conversation and he's like well why am I doing all this stuff like why is he having me learn about these numbers and do this homework and all this stuff there's it's not like there's school right now right there's monsters everywhere and Emily Blunt was like well your father is having you do this because one day he wants you to be able to take care of yourself. That's what this is about. You know, that he wants you to get to a point to where you can take care of things when he's not around. So that's that boy's arc is, is he's got to get to a place to where he can be somebody who takes care. The sister's already kind of there. The sister is her arc was more about, you know, being trusted and her having this theory and her trying to believe it in herself to see that theory through the end and, and, and Killian's character kind of, he was staying where he was and he was fixated on where he was and his wife died and everything like that. So to me, when we saw the wife's body, that's what that was. That was just more of a visual representation of what that character was going through. Like, I always say, show me, don't tell me. We got to hear him exposit his story and what he went through and everything like that. But to me, seeing the wife still there, understanding how fixated he was on that and how he hadn't moved to a place past that, And then you contrast that with Emily Blunt laying her ring there and kind of moving on. You know, to me, I I just understood this. I just understood Emily is where the Killian character is trying to get. And and the sister character um, is where the brother character is trying to get. So you have all these parallels and you have some characters on this level and other characters who are where they need to be, and we're trying to get everybody to the same place because ultimately that's how we're going to defeat these monsters. So I just, I I, I felt like it was very simple to me. Um, Some of the things that I could have, that I think could have been better, uh, I did want to know more about these cannibal-ish, dark, red-eyed people. I did want to know more about that. And I wish that maybe we had got captured before we got out of the situation. Though Killian thinking on his feet and and trying to make noise to bring monsters, I I mean, that was good. I liked it. I didn't have a problem with that per se because that was just ingenuitive thinking and that, that was just using everything that we already know and using it to get out of that situation. Um... I was fine with that, but I wish that we had gotten a little more about those people before something like that happened. I wish I could have heard a story from one of them about how they became this way or what happened to them. But the only explanation we got was Killian going, um, you know, the what some of these people have become. You don't want to meet them. Or he said some sort of line like that. And yeah, okay, that's cool. But I don't know. If you're going to introduce things like that, I'm, I'm going to want, I'm naturally, I'm going to want to know more about them. So when I didn't get an answer, uh, you, you, and, and we kind of b- began that, and then we kind of ended it, and I didn't really get an answer, I was like, 
okay. You know, it, it was just one of those things that I felt like I, I could have used more explanation on. And who knows? Maybe if there's a third movie, maybe we'll meet more people and more kind of people who have made these societies and things like that. And maybe we'll get a little bit more of that kind of stuff too. So who knows? Who knows? Maybe the jury's still out on that society. Um, as far as, yeah, when things got to the island and that alien got to the boat, I was kind of sitting there going, okay, so obviously this alien couldn't drive that boat. So I guess the the current just carried that boat there, I guess. But to me, I was like, okay, would that, would that alien have made it? Would he have really made it to that island? So I don't know. That felt a little convenient so that we could have the alien on the island. And I don't know if there was a better way. I mean, how else would the—I mean, you couldn't have him— control and be a salesman and sail the boat. So I guess that was kind of the only way you were going to get him there. But I don't know. I was just kind of like, man, would he have really, would that boat have made it all the way there with him just with the alien just standing on it. So it was a little hokey, but I understand movies got a movie, but that was, um, a little hokey to me, but, uh, but, but overall, I just thought that the acting performances were good. Um, I, I, I love the dynamic with Millicent and Killian's characters. Um, Emmeth and, and Reagan, Reagan in this movie, I thought that they were very good. I liked their dynamic. And I think splitting up the characters and kind of giving the characters their own arcs and journeys, that's just good storytelling, man. That's what the good storytellers do. And I think that's something that John Krasinski has figured out. Rather than make this, even though he gave you glimpses, like at the opening scene, of the devastation of these monsters and everything is like that. What I love the most about this movie is that still he dedicates more time to the characters. Even when we're in a moment of tension, it's more, you're seeing more of the character's perspective. It's not like he's not about showing the perspective of the monster or you see a monster creeping through bushes or you see like, oh man, look at the monster, murk all these people and stuff like that. I love how he keeps that stuff short and sweet. And what he really spends time on is building these tension moments with the characters. And I loved that scene uh, towards the end with Killian and Millicent where she's being helped over that window to get into that um, that radio station. And there are all these potential things that could make noise. And you're just like, and her feet are coming down as she's trying to like climb down in there. And you see all these things that could be spilled, all these things that could be knocked over. And any instant, you're just like, oh my God, if, if anything makes a noise, they're done. And I just loved all of the teases there, how she almost hits this cup, but then the paper almost falls over and her feet are coming down and she almost hits. That was great, man. Like, that yeah. was a very, like, ingenuitive and very creative way to do the noise. It, it, 
um, in this movie. And that, so I, I just thought that there was some brilliant moves by Krasinski and just how he keeps that he keeps you really with the characters and what they're experiencing. And I think that that has really served a movie like this well. So even though, yes, a lot of it felt familiar to me, it was the right move. Like, like I feel like, you know, um, I just don't know what other move he could have made. And I feel like if he had made other moves, maybe it takes more away from this than it does add to it. So I just think he made a lot of the right decisions. I think the story is moving the only way that it could have moved with a sequel like this. And I think that if it follows the natural progression, I think it's going to follow. I think it'll end pretty satisfying and will wind up being a solid horror movie trilogy when it's all said and done. I mean, like I get what you're saying about the parallels of some of that stuff, but the justification of something of, well, they're a kid, so they're going to do kid shit is very tiresome though. When it comes to like apocalyptic things, Kids today don't act like they did a hundred years ago because things are different. You know, kids don't act the same as they did 500 years ago because things were different. So when you're going through a lot of this stuff in an apocalyptic scenario, you're going to develop different things. And just having kids do kid shit in apocalyptic situations is incredibly tiresome at this point. They do it all the time in zombie movies. They did it in fucking Walking Dead. They do. It doesn't make any sense, especially when you would have had something on the traumatic level of you saw earlier in this scenario of what happens when you just do kid shit and your brother gets murdered in front of your entire family because of it. That makes a little bit more sense because it was very early in it. This is well later into it. You would know, especially whenever they, he's playing this the, the, the scaredy cat character and all this other shit, why would he go randomly fucking exploring? It makes no damn sense. I get that you wanted to get to that point to where you could have the parallel of, you know, showing that Killing Murphy and hasn't moved on, but, you know, Emily Blunt has moved on in four hours. I get that you want to get to that point, but... <laughs> It doesn't make any sense still. It doesn't make it any more logical for the movie to go that route with how they portrayed everything. I think it's a disservice to the character that they built with that. As annoying as I think that that character can be at times, it's a disservice to that character because it's inauthentic to how he would act. It's inauthentic to how you would act in a traumatizing situation whenever it comes to what you witnessed with your brother. It's inauthentic to so many things, and it's just there to show the dead body and to then have the creatures fucking attack. And when you're kind of shoving well, and- that much convenience in that, cause like you said, it was convenience with the boat. It's just all this like contrived shit just to have all three stories have a fucking tense moment at the end. I mean, and not only the brother, but I mean, they saw the dad die in front of them too. Yeah. But I'm just saying like, the very direct thing of kids doing kid shit. Kids doing kid shit got that kid murdered in front of everybody. Because he was just, you know, kids <laughs> doing the darndest thing in the apocalypse. Like, and plus on top of that, he's fucking injured. How, like, how is he even walking around like that? It wasn't even that, it hadn't even been that long. You know? 
And they were even talking about how they were out of pain meds and stuff like that. Like, it makes no sense to show that or for him to do that because that was a lot of climbing and all this other shit. You know, it just, it made, it still to me, even with the disclaimer of he was doing kid shit, it makes still no damn sense to me. Like, and I, and I get some of the stuff with the parallels, but I kind of understand what Heather was saying when she's talking about like, it's weird that she went out of her way to put the wedding ring on that marker and stuff. Cause it had been like two fucking hours since her husband died. Like it really hadn't been that long. And it's just, yep, I've moved on, you know? And when it comes to like the cannibal people, I get what you're saying. Like, I do also wish we did get something else with it. It's just also because of the, the way this movie is, or the whole, this whole universe is structured at this point. Unfortunately, you can't get a, like a villain monologue or a villain explainer without them moving them to another layer, like moving them somewhere else just for the sake of like, they can't actually say anything because then it draws, you know, then a creature might hear it, you know? So like, that is the unfortunate, like two sides of that coin. Like I do agree with you. I do wish we could have gotten like more of an explanation. Like, I want to know why all their eyes are red, like a very distinct shade of red. I want to know why all that, but like, unfortunately, you'll never be able to get that just because you can't have those characters talk, you know? And I mean, and I also do understand what you were saying earlier too, Justin, with the opening sequence. The opening sequence is very well shot. Like, the whole flashback, it's very well shot, you know? I just don't see the point of it in this movie. I think if you wanted to ever have that, it should have been in the other movie. Even if it's like a dream sequence or them just like, like, you know, I don't know, remembering shit or whatever. I just don't see the point in putting it in the beginning of this. You could have had it maybe as a nightmare, like Millicent's like asleep on the train or whatever, or like, you know, or whatever. And it's a nightmare and you play it. I don't see it really making any sense at the beginning of this movie. Do you wonder if maybe well, it's because they it. wanted. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, do you, do you think maybe they, like, they knew that people would want to see John Krasinski back in these movies? <laughs> and so they just, they wanted to make it seem like he would be in it more, maybe? I don't know. Because I feel like, the they feel like he, that might draw it. people in. It's the sole What's reason that? why they did it, is to show John Krasinski. Because they know that's a big, big selling point for this. Yeah. Well, what maybe, saying, but... Well, maybe, but I don't see it that way at all. I think that it does fit more in this movie because this movie has more of society and other people and stuff like that. I think it clashes with the first movie because the first movie was a little more intimate with just that family. You know, there were very few people besides them that we saw. That one was a little more contained with them in the house and just kind of what was in that immediate area with that family. So I feel like that scene clashes in the first movie. This one, it makes more sense to me because you're interacting with more people and more society in this movie so to me it fits more but you know maybe that's just the way i'm looking at it and just one more thing to say about the boy also too just maybe in his defense like um 
Yeah, I said that the, you know, kids will be kids and things like that. And and even though that is true, also this guy, you know, they they haven't known this guy that long. You know, this is not somebody who, even though he was the, you know, that that he had a relationship with his father and everything like that. I don't know how close that the kids were to Killian's character early on and everything like that before all of this happened. So I think also there was just kind of this, there was also this feeling of, can we trust this guy? And like, I remember like, even when we um, were watching it in the movie theater, everybody, the people that I watched it with, when he was kind of looking through rooms and stuff like that and going up there, everybody was like, man, I thought that we were going to find out that Killian, there were people that I watched it with went, man, I thought we were going to find out that Killian was a bad guy or that there was something about him that we, he was going to discover something like, oh man, this guy really can't be trusted or maybe he had been doing something that was kind of shady or whatever and even though yes we found the wife and everything like that and that does hearken to the character of the person there wasn't anything conniving happening there but I do think in the movie there was this sense of can we trust him you know is he trustworthy is he somebody who that that this family can trust or has he become something else To, to be fair I think that that was something that they set up in this story. And so part of that too, maybe was the kid was suspicious of him, you know, because I was, I didn't immediately trust Killian's character. And I think by the end I did, but I, and I feel like that was by design. So I just think that some of it probably was that too. Maybe the kid was snooping around because he's like, man, maybe I should be snooping around. You know, I think there was a little bit of that too, you know, other than him just mindlessly doing things. You know, I think there was a sense of that as well. So. I don't know. Maybe I was giving John Krasinski enough credit based on the first movie and like my memories of it, that that whole oh, he's actually an evil person thing is such a tired trope that I just didn't feel like he was going to do that. So I never was actually suspicious of him, especially because whenever they were doing this stuff at the beginning and stuff like that, I felt like he really was like a family friend based on how John Krasinski was talking to him and all this other stuff. And like, obviously yeah. his son was playing baseball with, you know, the, the, the Krasinski son. You know, so like I to me, it felt like they were family friends, like they were like two close families, you know, relatively speaking. And so I don't know. I just I never was actually suspicious that something was wrong because he never played. It was like something like he was evil or something, because like whenever he's sitting there and telling them, oh, we need to go or you need to go. Like, I don't want you around here. Like that doesn't play off as somebody's evil. It plays off like somebody that's has no hope. Which is what that character was, essentially. You know, his kid had died, his his wife had died, he had abandoned all hope. And just kind of, like, resigned himself to just mere survival at mm-hmm. that point. And that's the character he, like, portrayed, and that's what I, that's what I sensed from the character in those scenes, at the you know, when they first re-encounter him. 
And then at that point in the movie, too, it makes no sense for them to have that reveal either on a narrative standpoint, because if he really was an evil character or something like that, he would have ran away with that amp and, and the, the, the co- uh, cochlear implant, you know, instead of coming back to Millicent. Or probably not even went to go look for her. <laughs> exactly. Just been like, oh, when look, nah, she's dead. You know, like couldn't find her. Guess she died. Or just like gone to find her, taken the implant, smeared some blood on it and go, yeah, they got her. Mm. I mean, I do get what you mean, though, because it just the way that the kid was creeping around and like the the menacing music that was playing, it felt like something was going to be found out. But yeah. I didn't know what. I didn't think it was going to be something revealing he was bad, but just something, it, it just something, you know, like, I don't know. I, I didn't know what it was going to be, but I just felt like it, there's something was coming, you know? Yeah. And that's just what, and, and again, this movie is about building tension. That's the whole point, right? And sometimes you use tropes or familiarity of the audience with other stories and other things to build that tension. So I don't think it mattered what the result was. The point was to get you thinking about that, to get you, you know, to have this scene, like you said, the music was intensifying. The boy was going through. He was looking like he was finding something. And the, of course, because we've seen so many of these things like the walking dead, this, that, and the other, this, than the other and the the master of a, the mastery of a good filmmaker is to use a trope but then give you something kind of completely different you know it, it's taken that familiar trope but then you use it to build tension and make the audience anticipate something and then what you really find out is oh man you know and I think that's what the that's why that scene is good to me because I thought because of everything I've known, all the movies that we've seen, I just knew that we were going to get in there and we were going to find something bad. And the truth is we did kind of find something bad, but it wasn't bad in the sense of, Oh, this is a shady guy or this is a bad guy, but it was bad. Like, Oh man, you know, he's got his wife up here. It was that Mm kind of bad, but which still, which either way still added to the character. But to me, it's a good scene because it wasn't quite what you expected. But I think he planted enough seeds for you to go, well, do, do we trust this guy or not? You know, who, you know, he, he explained himself, but he was still all by himself. And, you know, not every movie watcher is going to look at that Killian character the same. I mean, like I said, the people I watched it with, there were plenty of people that were second-guessing him until he proved himself and and that's because we've seen so many narratives like this so i imagine if you talk to john krasinski he'll say the exact same thing yep that that's what we were doing we were building (laughs) like it was gonna be some really awful reveal but then really the reveal was this and 
And yes, it's still awful, but not awful in the way that you think it was going to be. Not the cliche awful. It says a little bit something tragic about the character more than it said something maniacal about him. And uh, and as far as, you know, it not working for the movie, I get that because he was going on the journey with the sister. But who knows? What if he just wanted to see if this island thing actually worked out and then he reveals himself so you know there are ways that you still could have gotten to that narrative but i think it was used here by krasinski because of some of those impulses that we have from watching so many movies like this so yeah and i get what you're saying but what what do you have to do to prove himself because he'd already proven to himself like four times before that moment though like finding her for one, coming back with the cochlear implant at that point, saving or going to check on the little girl on the docks, like just saving them at the beginning. He'd already done several things that should have been proof enough that he wasn't doing anything maniacal because if he had turned him in maniacal by the time they got to the island, why wouldn't he have just gone by himself then? Like, why wouldn't he have just taken her little amp and just bounced? And gone to the island. It would make no sense at all to wait till that point to reveal yourself as evil when there were so many times he had proven him. That would have been an incredibly terrible red herring at that point. Like, to have this character act that way when he didn't need to for most of those points. You know? That would have been so dumb on Krasinski's part if they actually had gone that route. And that's why I didn't think they were going to, because I had at least enough faith in Krasinski to not go that route. And while you guys are right, they were, they were building tension in that moment and all this other stuff, which is good in a movie like this. There was so many other ways to build the tension without the kid needlessly putting himself in danger and all this other stuff. I mean, you already have the tension of he's like a fucking what? 11-year-old or 12-year-old or whatever. Babysitting a baby when they can't really lock him away or like lock him in the little chest because there's not enough oxygen. When there's sound creatures creatures running around, you can build tension with just that. I just don't see the point in building it. And to me, which was a very ineffective and dumb contrived way. Yeah, I get that. And I mean, I think that they just wanted to do some different things. You 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 got a scene where he was with the baby and you got the tension of that and the monsters and stuff like that. So you got that. But then you also kind of got this other scene where maybe it's going to reveal something about this character who we just met and don't really know up until this point. So, you know, I just took it for what it was i think it was just as simple as that and yeah maybe when you look at the overall story him him turning and stuff like that wouldn't made any sense after the fact but it's all about the tension of the moment it's all about being in that moment with those characters and stuff like that and the scene was crafted to try to get you in that moment to maybe just doubt 
who this person is. You know, maybe are we going to find something uh, that that is bad about this person, even though up until this point, he hasn't done anything to make me believe that. But that's the power of good tension. That's the power of building a good scene to make you second guess what you think you already know. And then if the payoff is good, it will reveal something that maybe you didn't think about. And I think the scene did that. So to me, that makes it an effective scene. But I I can see what you're saying to some degree. Yeah. And I think, I mean, (laughs) if I'm being super real, I think I am probably most like that kid, that little boy in this movie. If I was going to be any of these characters, I'm going to be honest, it's probably him. Not to that extent, but to the extent of like, I am not a super brave person that's just going to be like, you know what? I'm going to go out there and see if I can find the help and just, you know, like I'm not the daughter, you know, I'm definitely not her. (laughs) Like, If I relate to anybody in this movie and, like, if this was a real situation, who would I probably be most like? Honestly, it's probably the little boy. And obviously, like, I would be more of, hey, I am terrified, but I am going to stay put. (laughs) Like, I definitely wouldn't be roaming around, especially with being hurt. I wouldn't do all of that. I would definitely be like, yeah, you need me to stay here? Cool. I will stay here. I will try to keep this baby quiet. I will try to keep us alive. That's what I would do. But I think just, I I appreciated that little boy's character, I think, too, just because everybody else in that movie seemed to be so brave and just so like, you know what, we're just going to power through and we're going to do this thing. And I just honestly don't feel like that would be me if this was the world. And so I kind of just appreciated that there was somebody else who was like, are you terrified out of your mind right now? Because I definitely would be like, (laughs) I appreciate that. Like they showed a character who was that. And yeah, it's a little boy, so it's not quite the same. But I just think that that's also realistic to like, not everybody in this world is going to be brave, even if they're used to it. You know, even if they're used to this is the world now people are still going to be terrified. You know what I mean? But, and I think that's maybe why I just like, I just appreciated his character in it as much as I was like, you are messing everything up and you need to stop doing anything. (laughs) Like just stop moving. I really just, I liked his added element. I do think that they, they made him a little bit more of a screw up than they should have maybe, (laughs) but I think they also wanted that effect at the end of he totally redeemed himself when he picked up that gun and he shot that thing and he just took care of business. So I think they also wanted that really like turnaround of, okay, he's on it now. He's cool. You know? And I think that that's why maybe they made him such a screw up the whole entire rest of the time. But anyway, that's just kind of you know, as we're talking about just this little boy, I think I just have to be honest and be like, honestly, I would be him more than anybody else in this movie that is in there. Not that I'm really any of them, but I just feel like I would be so like terrified all the time. Like he was. So I don't know, but I also just think it's a testament to kind of like what you said, Justin, where John Krasinski really puts a lot of thought into the characters that he wrote for this story. 
And, you know, you hear a lot about how, you know, the whole reason that he, he did this and why he wanted to do the story is because he wanted it to be a story about basically like, um, you know, like a love letter to his kids in a way of just how much a father loves his kids and his family. And I think that you can just really see that in how he did write these characters. And I just think it's like, that is a probably another reason why these movies that he did are better is because they're kind of like passion projects, you know, where he's just, and it is like, it's his own writing and he has his own vision for what he wants this to look like and what he wants this to be like. And so I think Sterling is right. I think that's why John Krasinski did so well with these movies because he was very passionate about these characters and the story because he he wanted it to be kind of about his like a love story to his own family. So I think that that's why the characters are so well developed in a way. And I think that that's sort of also what sets it apart from any other just horror movie where you have a family that's trying to survive. You feel like he put more effort into fleshing the characters out a little bit as, you know, real people in a real family. So I just think that's pretty cool. And I think that that's why Krasinski is so great when he's doing movies like this. Yeah, that that's, that's a good point. And I didn't know that. I didn't know that, that he had said that about the love letter to his kids and stuff like that. But as you were saying it, it makes a lot of sense with what's happening. Because like I said, you watch these movies back to back, it's abundantly clear that the kids are having to come into their own. That that's the whole point. They got to get to where they can sustain. And that's what every parent ultimately, well, not, not every parent, because not all parents are good parents. Let me slow that down. But <laughs> I, I, it, but the uh, good ones, <laughs> we'll just go with good parents. Good parents want to instill values into their kids, right? So that the, and the hope is, is that they will, when, is when they grow up, they will be able to take care of themselves, right? Like they, and even when they make mistakes, you hope that they will be strong enough to come to their own. So in the first one, the sister had to arrive to that place. She made the big mistake, cost her brother her life. She had to come to grips with that. She had to arrive to a place and grow up. And in this one, it was the brother's turn, you know? So I feel like, like I said, he's telling, he's doing this the right way. He's making the right decisions. Like if, if there was going to be a second movie, I just, I, I think he made the right decisions for this one. And in the third one, we can get everybody where they need to be. And then we can defeat these monsters. So it just seems right to me, you know? And, and, and I think ultimately it is about that. It is about what you do and what people pass on to you. And it's about, um, you know, it's about moving on. It's about taking responsibility. It's about growing up. Th- that's the heart of this. You know what I mean? That's really the heart of this. That's what these characters are having to do. And everybody's just kind of in their own little place in that journey. And you got monsters and people eating people and an alien invasion surrounding it. But ultimately, that's what this is, man. That's all this is. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me what you said about yeah. Krasinski. All right. Am I the only one that thinks it's a little weird to have a love letter to your children or whatever? And it, part of the love letter <laughs> is you're going to watch me get murdered. 
agreed. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, yes, I do get that. I guess it was supposed to be like a, I would do anything for my kids type of thing. But yeah, I know it's just kind of like, watch me die, children. <laughs> I mean, I get what you're saying, like, and I get what Justin's saying of like, you know, you want it to be like a love letter of I do anything for my kids. And at the same time, I want to, you know, instill things into them that will help them develop and be their own people and survive out in the world. Even if you're using survive as just being a productive person in society type of, of way of definition, but you're also including in that and you're going to watch me get murdered. It's just a little weird. (laughs) I mean, I get it, but weird. It's like the weird, creepy version of like a fucking bedtime story where he's like, you know, I love you guys. Watch me die. <laughs> like a, his own Aesop fable or something like. Or like an original Grimm's fairy tale. Yeah, Grimm's. Yeah. <laughs> Just remember, your parents will always love you even when I die in front of you in a bloody, horrible, painful death. But I still love you. <laughs> I'm just saying it's a little creepy. It's a little sadistic. Like, you know, to sit there and tell your children, I hope my death will be the transformative experience you need to become your own people. (laughs) Isn't that every father's wish? Like, yeah, that's, it's extreme for sure. (laughs) I'm just saying. Um, You guys have any more thoughts about this? Because I have something else I want to talk about. I think I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. All right. So recently this week, um, something very, very terrible happened in the world of cinema. And that would be the movie Paddington 2 is now no longer 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, no. I have a lot of feelings about this. Who did it? Right. Yeah, that's like a, that's a blasphemous thing in, in your book, Sterling. You love that movie. Yes, the man's name is Eddie Harrison. He has his own website called Film Authority. And I just really am at odds now with Rotten Tomatoes because it's it's looking like when I'm going through stuff, it looks like he's a recently added critic. And he didn't base this off seeing it in the movie theater. He based this within the last few days of watching it on Amazon. And to me, it just screams, it's a troll review because it's going to knock that movie down 1% and the guy's going to make a name for himself for fucking clicks. And I really kind of think it's bullshit that Rotten Tomato is just playing into it. Like, that they're they're actively more or less rooting for that. Like, showing that they really don't care about the scores they're aggregating for their site. Like they don't need publicity and name one movie review website out there. That's more popular than rotten tomatoes. Yeah. I think Metacritic's more accurate, but rotten tomatoes is the biggest aggregate score website out there. And they're absolutely playing into it and allowing it. When I'm looking at this guy's website too, I don't actually think this guy legitimately hits the numbers. To be allowed to be a film critic for Rotten Tomatoes, it's very much looking like he's probably relying on bots and paid website views to up Mm. his counts because it's not that well-designed of a website. 
that you would be getting like thousands of unique views a day before all this to even get on Rotten Tomatoes radar to do it. But also it's like I said, they're allowing some guy retroactively years later to just go, Nope, I'm going to ruin this movie score just because he could. Now, I know some people were upset because Citizen Kane was technically a 100% movie, but it didn't have as many reviews because back then there weren't as many movie reviewers, but Citizen Kane used to be 100%. And they did recently lower it to 99%, but that was because they came across a newspaper review that was negative about Citizen Kane from the time period and more or less like looked at it and went, well, this would have been a publication we would have recognized. So it works retroactively. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. Now, if they were going mm-hmm. through shit and they found a review, like say this guy became a critic now, but they found a review of his from back then. And they were like, well, you weren't qualified back then, but we do, you are now. So we'll, we'll take your opinion from back then. That would make sense. This guy wrote it last week based on watching it on Amazon. It's a fucking troll review wow. and it's obvious. This guy, if you go and look at every review for Paddington 2 ever, everybody talks about how charming it is. And this guy's review is, it's not charming. It is <laughs> yeah, obvious. Yeah, something about like it lacks charm or something like that. Yeah, it lacks charm. It is incredibly obvious that he wrote this based on other reviews mm-hmm. to strictly go negative. I know I sound a lot of times like I'm like ridiculous with sometimes how I do scores. Now I do sometimes make sure when, or whenever I, I do sometimes go out of my way to make sure there is no nuance when I give a score, you know, I understand that. But when I give a movie a bad score, it's because I thought it was a bad movie. I'm not going out of my way to give a good movie, a bad score. You know, I might, you know, in all honesty, a movie might be like a 40%. I might give it a negative a thousand, you know, yes, I might do that, (laughs) but I'm not doing, I'm not giving a movie that I watched going, man, that was great. Negative 1000 just to be different, you know, like, like I said, I might go ridiculous with the numbers I give, but the sentiment is the same. If it's a bad movie, I'll give it anything technically pretty much below a 60, you know, Anything below a 60 to me is technically a bad movie. I'll give it whatever I want. It could be a one. It could be, you know, 59. To me, there's not as much as, as weird as it sounds. To me, there's not too much of a difference in that with how I feel sometimes. You know, if I absolutely hate a movie, yeah, that's when I go, you know, a negative 10,000 or whatever. Like those ridiculous S scores. Yes, I truly don't like those movies. If I just kind of mediocrely don't like a movie, sure, I'll give it like a 40 or whatever. But like, I give bad movies bad scores. I give good movies good scores. Even though, like I said, I know I go ridiculous. You know? Like, did, well, I I don't remember exactly what I gave Willy's Wonderland. Is it really that good of a movie? No. But I loved it. So it still fits. I absolutely loved that movie. But this guy, like I said, is obviously trolling. I, when I'm reading his review, it is almost like I don't even feel like he watched that movie. I feel like he just read positive reviews and just wrote a negative review the same way and just put negative words instead of positive ones. Like he just used the exact same terminology yeah. 
and made it negative. Everybody, it's the most charming movie ever. So full of charm. This is the definition of charm. And he's like, there's no charm. <laughs> yeah, I'm like reading it now. And he just says, the charm is entirely missing from the two Paddington films. Yeah. Like he's not even specific about just this film, but he's also in general not specific about what he doesn't like about it. Exactly. And they're fucking okay with it. I'm like, why should we take anything they're doing like at face value now? Why should we put any stock in the critics they allow on their site? Right. Like, that's what's disturbing to me. And I'm not trying to sit there and say that, like, movie reviews are, like, sacrosanct or any, or, uh, or, or sacred in any way, shape, or form. They're not. It's all 100% subjective. But at the same time, you're giving this, like, you're giving this man a platform to be a troll, but then... But then if he was just a regular audience member and these people go on and review bomb movies without watching them because they're, you know, want to say a movie's woke or whatever, and they'll turn off audience reviews at that point. They, they completely turn them off and don't allow them anymore. So it can't happen. So mm-hmm. because they, they did that for Captain Marvel. Yeah, they do that because they want to save the sanctity of the audience score. Isn't the critic score the more sacred thing on the site? Isn't that where it all started? And now they're telling us they'll just allow anything like that. And they'll allow trolls to fucking dictate that stuff. But they won't let they won't let audience members troll. If you're gonna let critics troll, let audience members troll. Let fucking trolls troll then. I just think it shows a complete lack of integrity from Rotten Tomatoes. And I think it's bullshit because you know what? Paddington 2 is the definition of charm. To do like a, <laughs> a a bastardization of a quote from the movie Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, if you look up charm in the dictionary, you'll see the definition of charm, which what is what Paddington Two is. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's bullshit, and it's national news. I saw this shit on the news. It wasn't like I just was on Facebook and Rotten Tomatoes did something. No, they commented on the news that Paddington Two lost a hundred percent. Now, it was WGN, but yeah. I mean, hey, that's that's a big news network in Chicago. If you're making it onto a Chicago news network, I mean, granted, it's also local news. They'll do shit about puppies wearing sweaters. But I'm just saying, they still did a news story about it in the morning segment of WGN. So it's the third also- largest city in the country, <laughs> and they're doing it on the local news, and they're talking about it, because it is kind of a big deal, like, because it, it's one of those things that, like, it's a child, it's a it's a family movie, but it just shows how that can be transcendent. And they're just letting this guy yeah. fuck with it for the sake of fucking with it. I also just want to throw out there, he gave Hamilton a one out of five. I'm like, what? Doesn't surprise me. He wow. said, this neither fish nor fowl version capturing theatrics not adapted for film isn't what we need right now. What? <laughs> That's ridiculous. This guy is crazy. Yeah. I mean, even one out of five. If you just even objectively look at it and look at the words he said, this is not what we need right now. How many people were talking about how great it was to be able to watch Hamilton in the middle of this fucking pandemic and shit? Right. Exactly. I mean, then you have people like my little brothers who are in Midland, fucking Texas. When the fuck were they ever going to be able to actually see Broadway, like, 
Hamilton. Right. And they love it. They love Hamilton. Apparently, like my little brother, like one of them will walk around just singing songs from Hamilton because he watched it on Disney Plus. It's like, oh, God forbid people get culture. Oh. But like, I mean, if you like were on TikTok anywhere near whenever the, uh, Hamilton came out, 90% of, Ham, uh, of TikTok was just consumed with Hamilton videos of people talking about it and singing the songs and doing these things and everything like that. Like, so many people enjoyed the fact that, like, A, they weren't having to wait because, like, it was going to be, like, another year before it was supposed to come out into theaters. Disney just went, you know what? Fuck it. Let's do it now. I think it was good press for Disney, and I think it was a smart thing to do. I think a lot of people appreciated that it, they did that. And this mm-hmm. guy goes, yeah, we don't need that now. Yeah, fuck you, dude. You didn't even like Paddington 2. Like, and I know we've talked about it before. Yes, Paddington 2 was 100%. Was it a perfect movie? No. But my theory with it is I don't know anybody that could go and watch that movie and just not think it was good, which technically would make it 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was a good movie. And like I said, I don't even, like if you read this guy's review, I don't even, I'm not even convinced he watched it. I'm convinced he read reviews. That's it. He's a fucking troll. (laughs) And Rotten Tomatoes is eating it up and loving it. Wow. Shame on you, Rotten Tomatoes. Shame on you. I'm going to have to read this review. (laughs) Yeah. I'm reading more about the Hamilton one, though, and he's he's more just, yeah. It's really easy to find, Justin. You go to Flickster, type in Paddington 2, go to the details section. And bam, it's right there because it's also it's the newest review, and it's the only one with a green little splatter. It's real easy to find. Okay, <laughs> just real easy because, like I said, it's the only <laughs> one. Hundreds of reviews with that little red ripe tomato, motherfucker, stick it out like a sore thumb. And it's the newest one too, right? So yeah, yeah it'll be like right yeah, up like front. I said, it's like a week old. I think now. I mean, this guy's right up there with. There was that one asshole that was review bombing everything for a few years. Like that one critic that was having a hard time even finding a paper that would publish him or like syndicate him because of the bullshit he would fucking write, you know, but he was like the first guy to like of a major publication to like, uh, give the first Avengers movie a negative review. Yeah. You know, it was just, it's, it's one of these contrarian writers. And like, and that's what was kind of special about Paddington too, is that even all these contrarian assholes who watched it <laughs> were it. like, you know what? We can't do that to this one. Not this one. Charm. It's charm. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. They were charmed from fucking being trolls. That's why I don't think this guy watched it. It's like saying Mr. Rogers isn't charming. Yeah. It really is like when Sean Hannity was like, on Fox News was like, you know, Mr. Rogers is an asshole. That's who this guy is. <laughs> Did that really happen? Um, They were making fun of Mr. Rogers because they were like, oh, yeah, kids like want participation trophies and think they're all special, you know, because of Mr. Rogers. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they were doing that shit. And that's when they were also like, yeah, you know, Mr. Rogers, like, you know, like loved people and stuff. I bet he was gay. 
And I'm not joking. They were really like debating his sexuality on Fox News at one point, too. And I'm like, why? Why does that even matter? Wow. Of course they would. I mean, wow. To be clear, he's not a homosexual, but it wouldn't matter if he was. But that was the, that, but to like, to them, that's what the big deal was, you know? Not the fact that he's spreading all of this, like, goodness to people or anything. <laughs> well, the, the funny thing is, is like, Fox News is like, yeah, all these bullshit kids wanting their participation trophies and thinking they're special. It's Mr. Rogers' fault. Like, we gave our fucking asses trophies. Did you ever have a say in whether or not you got a trophy <laughs> or not? No. I got dozens and dozens of participation trophies from playing soccer because I was never on a good team. I never asked for it. They gave it to me. And then they're mad at me for getting them. (laughs) What kind of bullshit is that? But that's the mentality of this fucking Eddie Harrison guy. Yeah, his complaint about um, Hamilton is mostly that it wasn't like a cinematic version of it and that it just had too much of the... Like, you know, you could see their microphones and you see the guy spitting when he's singing. And that's mostly what his complaint was about the the movie. Oh, man. It's like they filmed Hamilton. them performing the play. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. I'm kind of like, that's, I think that was the point, though. Like, they wanted you to have the experience of feeling like you're able to see it yeah. in, you know, a theater setting. Like, that was the point. <laughs> I mean, it really is. It's like if he went to the play and went, can you believe they did it on a stage? Right. It's that type of shit. Like, what does he want? Like, I understand. Maybe he wants an actual movie version of the play. Like what we're getting within the Heights and what we're getting with West Side Story and what we've gotten before with stuff. Sure, I want to see that too. Don't get me wrong. I want to see that. Yeah. But... At the time, they had the play, and it was filmed, and they gave it to us. That's cool. Why can't we have both at some point? But, like, yeah, it's, yeah. it really is. It's like Hamilton, the Broadway play experience. And he goes, God, can you believe it's a play? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's like going to a Jason movie. That's like going and watching Friday the 13th, Jason take, Takes Manhattan and goes, can you believe Jason was in this movie? And he was in Manhattan? What kind of bullshit is this? One out of five. (laughs) Yeah. It's like he goes and watches the movie The Dentist. And I don't know why I'm picking movies that you like, Justin. But I am. (laughs) And he goes, can you believe the main character was a dentist? (laughs) Anyway, that's all the time I'm going to spend on that. I just, I had to, you know, air my grievances. Just fuck that guy. That's fair. And right now, you know what? Fuck Rotten Tomatoes, too. Not cool. Not cool. Come on, RT. Come on, RT. Better than that. Apparently, someone's shooting fireworks at, at one of the houses behind me. Or they're shooting guns. It's one of the two. It's Joliet. That's how we play. <laughs> when, the, when it starts getting warm weather, we do play a game called Fireworks or Guns. <laughs> I'm thinking they're fireworks, but like I said, Juliet. Yeah, let's though. hope it could be guns. Yeah. It wouldn't be the first time we've had gunshots on my street, so that's how we roll. Let's hope for the former. Yeah. Anything else, guys? 
I am good. I'm good. So on that note, thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Semislayers Podcast. Check us out on the internet at www.semislayers.com, which is infinitely better than that shitty-ass website, www.film. I'm not even going to say the rest of it, because um, I did mention it earlier. Uh, check us out on Facebook, where we're Semislayers Podcast. We are Cinema underscore Slayers on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, give us a five-star rating review. We'd really appreciate it. But don't review bomb us like Eddie Harrison. Don't be an Eddie Harrison, is all I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, tell your family, tell your friends, tell, you know, especially mothers, any kind of mother, married mothers, single mothers, mothers with no children in their house anymore because they all moved on and went to college. Empty nesters, I guess is what they'd be called. Just tell all the mothers, especially this, they would really love my take about Eddie Harrison. So especially tell mothers That's about true. this episode. Uh, and just remember always, or just as always, remember According to Justin, Eddie Harrison has really fucked me up. That's all I'm saying. According to Justin, Moon Knight is the best picture winner. I would have never thought that meant Owen Island. <laughs> Same. <laughs>